Psalm 23 is probably the most memorized, well-known, oft-quoted. Sorry to do this, Jude, but I don't want to knock it over. So, It's a very, very, very well-known psalm. Psalm probably at every funeral you've ever been to. Um, it's at least read at some point because of the comfort that it offers. And uh, I should be doing... You know, some kind of a New Year sermon, right? Because, like, next Sunday it'll be, what, the second? Yeah. So, uh, this is as close as I could get. Um, we're only going to do the first three verses, but I thought it would be a good reset for everybody as we finish up the holidays and all of the hustle and bustle to look at this passage and be reminded of what we have in Jesus Christ. So let me pray and then we'll read the first three verses. Our Father, we love you, um, but in a faltering, stumbling, failing way. We trust you, uh, but we trust in our own wealth, in our own power, in our own ingenuity too much. We seek you, but we seek the things that make us glad in the moment too often. In times like this, um, when we're getting ready to turn over and begin anew in the dead of winter, I'm sure that there are people who are, are resolving and hoping and promising themselves different things. So I ask that this morning you would help us to love, to trust, and to seek you above all the other pursuits that preoccupy us. It's hard, Father, because um, the cares of this life, we can see them. They're right in front of us, and we're reminded of them constantly. And you, we can't see. So it's by faith we seek to embrace you. So Holy Spirit, would you be with us in this room? Would you unite our hearts with yours and help us to leave this place this morning actually feeling like we know you better? Mm -hmm. And we ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Psalm 23, verse 1 says, well, if you include the, the first line, it says a psalm of David. Um, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. All right, so put a finger in Psalm 23. We'll come back to that and then turn to John chapter 10. As beautiful as Psalm 23 is, I think there's something even more profound and beautiful when Jesus describes himself in these terms, and he does so in John 10. And what we can get from John 10 is a picture of what the shepherd is, like what are the marks of the shepherd, and then secondly, what is a sheep, and what are the marks of his sheep? Because what David's implying by saying that the Lord is his shepherd is that if, if David, who was the king in Israel as a sheep, 
then we most certainly are too. Amen? And those of you who don't know and haven't spent a lot of time around sheep like I have, I haven't, um, they're, they're not shrewd, clever animals. Um, so it's, I don't think David's just trying to be self-deprecating. I think he's trying to paint and start contrast the difference between us and Jesus. All right. So John 10, we're going to skip around, but we'll start at verse 14. I want to show you five characteristics of the shepherd and then five characteristics of the sheep. Verse 14, Jesus is speaking and he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. So that's one. If you're taking notes, the first characteristic of the good shepherd is he knows his sheep, which means like you don't have any secrets from Jesus. He knows whatever's going on with you, every passing thought, every little blasphemous consideration and every blessed one. He is fully aware of it. Right. And we Tim read it a few minutes ago. Jesus, for his part, was entrusting himself to no man, for he knew what was in the heart of man. He knows his sheep. Second, verse 3. So moving around, back up to the beginning. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. (laughs) It's too early in the sermon, unfortunately, for me to be overly emotional, so... Um, I don't want it to seem contrived, but I want you to believe me that it, it's, it, it is really beyond my comprehension that when I was called out of darkness into light, I was called and you were called, listen, by your name. It wasn't, it wasn't just some uh, far-flung wide net that you happen to get caught up in. Jesus looked at you and he said, Tiffany or uh, Lee or Jenny or Carrie or Audrey, look at me. I'm calling you out of darkness into light. When Jesus says, I know them, I call them by name. It's not hyperbole. God is not watching us from a distance where the world is blue and green, right? He is intimately involved and knows exactly who you are and wanted you. Not because you're so wonderful, but because he is. Amen? Amen. Verse four. When he has brought out all his own, look right at that. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. You are never walking point when the Lord is your shepherd. It's it's an interesting thing to think about in these terms. Spurgeon says the law of Moses drives us because it has a whip with it, right? Do this and you'll live. That's what the law does. It drives you into obedience. But by contrast, Jesus lovingly leads us. He leads us. He is between you and whatever it is that you're dealing with. Verse 10, 
We're going fast because we got a lot to get through. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So he came that we, the sheep, might have life. And then verse 11, how does he do it? I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So these are the marks. He knows his sheep. He calls his sheep by name. He leads his sheep. He comes that his sheep might have life, and he lays down his own life for the sheep. What are the marks of the sheep? Let's get right into it. Verse 3. To him, the gatekeeper opens. What do the sheep do? They hear when he calls. If you don't believe in uh, the sovereignty of God and salvation and the idea of irresistible grace, there it is right there. Jesus said it. I call. Guess what you do? You hear. You're going to listen. Jesus is calling you. You're going to hear him. You can resist. You can fight it. You can be like, not me. No, when he calls, you're going to hear because God's sovereign. And that's a wonderful thing because if it was just that you chose to hear him when he called you, if that's what it was that saved you, then what's going to keep you? And every time you wander headlong off the path into some sin and all your assurance evaporates that you're even saved, well, if you're the one that decided to be saved, then I would submit to you there's a good possibility you could lose that. But if he's the one that decided you're going to be saved, then there is no possibility that you're going to lose that. He calls, we hear. Second, verse 4. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him. Why? They know his voice. Verse 4. They know his voice, and what do they do? They follow him. Verse 14, I'm the shepherd, I know my own, and my own know me. What do we do? We know him. We hear him, we follow him, we know him. And then by far my favorite part for all the people that don't have to go to church to worship God is in verse 16. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be how many flocks? One One flock, one shepherd. So you don't just get saved all by yourself and then you're a lone ranger for Jesus. You get saved into the context of an expression of the body of Christ. You're part of the flock. You have to go to church to worship God because you're part of the family of God. I'm not saying you have to go to this one. You probably should. Yeah, you're better off. (laughs) Five marks of the Lord's sheep. They hear when he calls, they know his voice, they follow him, they know him, and they're part of the flock, right? So back in Psalm 23, David says, the Lord is my shepherd, which means, I know most of you are familiar with this idea, but just for the sake of the children here, let's talk about the importance of first person personal pronouns. I'm giving them all a moment to stop panicking like we're back in school. First person, personal, personal, possessive pronouns. He isn't a shepherd. He isn't someone's shepherd. 
He is my shepherd. He belongs to me when I am in danger, when I'm in sorrow, when I'm on the mountain, when I'm in the valley, wherever I go and whatever I am facing, I have my shepherd, not a shepherd, not a pretty decent shepherd. My shepherd is the Lord and he is between me and whatever I'm dealing with because he leads me. My shepherd is Jesus and he is between me and whatever I'm dealing with because he knows me. My shepherd is Jesus and he is between me and whatever I'm dealing with because he called me by name. And he's not going to be like, oh, I, oh, I forgot. Oh, yeah, yeah, you, you are one of mine. That's right. Hang on, I'll deal with it. No, no, he's always between me and whatever I'm dealing with because he's mine. He made me that way. I shall not want. I love this. Um, the prosperity gospel, man, this is a key verse for them, but we'll, I'll be honest with you, all right? Think of, think of that statement, I shall not want. Think of it like this, because you can interpret it pretty clearly this way. He will not withhold, so I will not be without. Or he will not withhold, so I will not be empty. He will not withhold so that I will not be in want. Now, if we're talking about money or food or water or shelter or physical safety or good health, Christians die for lacking those things probably every day. And we're going to die, right? I hate to break it to you. Unless he comes back, everybody in this room is going to taste death. And I don't know the manner of your death, but I know the fact of it is certain some disease is going to get you or an 18 wheeler or a bad decision when you're 16 and you get driver's license and you think it'd be fun to go 75 instead of 45 on Platteview road or 90 like those girls a couple years back like we're going it's not a matter of if it's a matter of when so to look at this and go the lord's my shepherd i shall not want which means everything that i ever need for life and happiness is going to be provided to me is a bit inauthentic and dishonest it cannot be that that is what david is talking about so let's look at romans 5 and figure out what he does mean I have to be very, very careful when I wander into Romans 5 as a cross-reference when I'm preaching because I'll start reading it and then this is where we'll end up preaching from this morning. So just verse 20. I'm not even going to give you the context. The law, well, I might. We'll see. The law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, has to mean at the end of the day, certainly, yes, God will supply your physical needs. Certainly, yes, God will help you make sure that the bills get paid. Certainly, yes, God will make sure that you have food to eat, water to drink, clothes on your back. I, I, I trust him for those things. We all do. Amen? Amen. Okay. 
But ultimately, it cannot mean that, or there are thousands of martyrs laid out through history who died without. Wasn't the Lord their shepherd? Or is it something else that there is an endless supply of that he delivers? The law came in so that sin would increase, which means I was made aware of the rules so that I would be aware of how far I am from meeting the the requirement, right? Here comes the law, don't sin. And then I go, what's sin? And the law says, well, it's any thought, word, or deed that trespasses against the character of God. And I go, well, all of my thoughts, words, and deeds in one way, shape, or form trespass against the character of God. I'm doomed. And then grace came in and supplied my need. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want for grace and mercy in abundant supply. What if on the day of judgment you went before God and discovered that you had sinned, think about this, one too many times? Like, 233 trillion, 642 billion, 892 million, 225,036 times was forgivable. But that 37th one you did, nope, grace ran out. Thank God, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want for grace abounding. In John 1, the way that, John puts it as he lavished grace upon grace. You're not going to run out like you'll be okay. Now, does that make you want to run out and sin or does that make you want to run out and obey? This is where we I like I want to keep what shall we say then sin more that grace may that's chapter six. Let's get back after it. Verse four. No. Verse 2, okay, moment of panic. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Sometimes God tells us to lie down, okay? We've got a lot to do, right? Everybody has important things to do? Y'all got important things to do? You're flying out tomorrow? Okay, she's going to go, let's walk, let's see if I remember. Ultimately to Hawaii. Sorry, Carrie and Kevin. Um, <laughs> But she's going to go by way of Minnesota, but somewhere in between here and there. Minnesota, St. Louis, Jonesboro, Arkansas, yep. right? Okay. And then from there, you go somewhere and then Denver, Memphis to Denver, and then she's going to go to Hawaii. Now, do you fly a lot? No. no. Doesn't, so who else is stressed out just thinking about this and the odds of the luggage actually making it where she's going to end up? We got so much to do. You got so much to think about. The next thing is always in mind. I was talking to Carrie before service started and she's like, I got a graduation party in May and a wedding and this and that and the other thing. And, and I, I said to her, I'm very generous with my time until the time comes. Yeah, we can get together. Yeah, we can do that. Yeah, it sounds, and then that moment comes, and I'm like, why did I agree to all of this? (laughs) We've got so much to do, so much going on, so much to think about, and sometimes the Lord says, lie down. So the next time you're sick, I want you to think about this psalm. 
Next time you break a bone, the next time you have no energy, the next time you're snowed in and the internet goes down, I want you to think about this psalm and the fact that sometimes God tells us to lie down, sometimes God makes us lie down. I'm not saying you're fine, you're going to get there. (laughs) That illustration had its limitations and we met it. Look where God makes us lie down. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Now, I don't know about you, but when I've got a high fever, a nagging cough, a painful injury, or if you've got like a thyroid problem or like whatever it is that's making you lie down, it doesn't feel like green pastures. It feels like you are lying in a wasteland of germs and bodily dysfunction, right? It's not terribly restful. It doesn't feel terribly good. You're just kind of miserable. But there's an interesting thing that happens when you are the Lord's sheep and you get into that condition where you're just, oh, there's an amazing thing that happens to me anyway. I hope it happens to you too, where you're just reminded and you can't help but be aware of how needy you are for him. Right? Come on. You can lift weights and you can run and you can, you know, eat blueberries and spinach until the cancer goes away. But at the end of the day, you you can't even defeat a germ by yourself, like mentally kill all the germs in your body. It's not doable. So you get sick and you get laid low. And I want you to think about this. He makes me lie down. That's not how I think about it. I think, no, this can't be happening. I've got too much going on. You feel that little tickle right before something important in your life, and you're like, oh, what is that? No! (laughs) He makes me lie down. How many of us got told by God to lie down and didn't rest? How How many times have you been warned by God to lie down and you didn't even sit? I had one child, my first one, who is like evidently like all of the Matheson's kids, does not lie down when they're told to. It's never bedtime. And I would go in there and like I was in a much more reformed state of mind in those days. I didn't understand grace the way I do now. So I would go in there and tan that hide. Lay down. Whack, whack, whack. You're sinning. Whack, whack, whack. Lay down. Ah, I don't want to. And it never occurred to me. I never put the pieces together until years later. Like, that is you. When God says, you need to rest. No, I don't. I'm going to keep going. I got stuff to do. And sometimes the Lord makes us lay down. And then you're miserable with some malady moaning about, why is this happening to me? And then he goes to to work on your heart since all you can do is lay there. And the Holy Spirit starts whispering to you about some things that maybe need to change. Some growth that needs to happen. And then what do you generally find you need the most in those moments when you're, you're contemplating your death and you're hopeful that you'll survive, but you're not sure that you're going to because it hurts so bad or your stomach or like, you know, whatever's going on. It's just got you that miserable. 
at the end of the day, what is it that you need the most? Because when I am sick, like really sick, laying down sick, not getting up doing anything sick, like I did after my hernia surgery when I was out shoveling that day, right? And you weren't supposed to lift anything, but I was just pushing snow. And Lisa's like, what is the matter with you? I wasn't laid down yet. I was when the drugs wore off. I was laid down. What is the one thing you are constantly aware that you need in those moments? Because for me, the sickness is an endless reminder of how sinful I am and how much I hate sin and how desperate I am for grace and mercy. And do you know what? In those moments when God makes you lie down, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. There is grace and mercy and full and free supply. He makes me lie down, but he makes me lie down in pastures of grace and mercy. And then David says, he leads me beside still water. So David's like me. He's like, yeah, yeah, I had to lay down. But then I got to get up. And when I got up, he led me by still waters. He doesn't lead us beside chaotic waters. There's people that do this, right? You share some struggle or some malady that you've been diagnosed with, and they're like, oh, yeah, my aunt had that. It killed her after a year. Thanks. <laughs> or those people that are they're just always ready with some bad news. They can't wait to tell you some bad news. I hope you got ammo because Trump's really still the president. What in the world? Just chaos all around them. Food's going to run out. Have you seen the storage containers stacked up at the ports? Say goodbye to Christmas. It ain't happened. My, mine was okay. How was yours? Did you have all the food you needed? Like it, but those people, you know who they are. <laughs> Watch out. Dollar's going to crash. I know. It's like you, you, you get consumed with these chaotic things that you can't control. And then there's the ones that are always ready with the latest gossip. Just bringing chaos with them in every phone call or text message. Guess what? Guess what? And your soul is never blessed by what they want you to guess. Or maybe you're that person. The news certainly does not lead us by still waters. Talking about everyone's going to die of COVID, cancer, coffee, crime, or climate change. I can't even watch it anymore. It just stirs chaos up in my heart. Social media doesn't lead us beside still waters. I have like serious concerns about what it does to you when you engage in a, in a platform that shows you a subject on demand for maybe no more than 10 seconds. Let me explain what I'm talking about. Check out this recipe I've got for muffins. Swipe. Trump's still the president. Swipe. The vaccine's causing myocarditis. Swipe. Look at this picture of my kitchen that you'll never be able to afford. Swipe. <laughs> my 12-year-old just got a full ride to Yale. Swipe. I lost 30 pounds in two days with this tea. Swipe. <laughs> Joe Biden's bringing dignity back to the Oval Office. Swipe. <laughs> It's not good for us, right? But, that, that, but that's how our kids are coming up. Just this chaos all the time and unrest and envy. And did you make somebody mad? And why didn't they like your post? This is probably not healthy. It's not still waters. 
The Lord leads us beside still water. So we get up from our green pastures, and as he leads us along the way, many times he is pleased to bring us to a path which is entirely contrary to life in a sin-fallen world. He takes us along still waters. Thank God he does, because they're not going to be found on our own. And here, something beautiful happens. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. What's that say? He restores my soul. Do you ever think about this? You can eat to restore your strength. You can sleep to restore your mind. You can go to physical therapy to restore a joint or a muscle that's been damaged you can take medicine to restore your health like you can there's there's all these things you can do to restore this and even this but how do you restore your soul how do you fix a broken heart and people will be like well time i have found that time does not really fix anything the best way I ever saw this presented was in terms of, and I've probably shared this with some of you as though it's my own idea, but now publicly I have to own that it's not. In terms of the grief box. Have you ever heard of this? So picture a box, okay? And in the box is a button at the bottom. A button that you press and it's got a spring and it comes back up. Right? So the box with a button at the bottom and something happens to you that's absolutely heartbreaking okay something that creates grief in you happens now i want you to picture a ball as big as the box in the box pressing that button that's your grief button getting pressed by this ball a day goes by the ball shrinks a millimeter a year goes by the ball shrinks by several inches Ten years goes by, maybe the ball is the size of a marble, but it's always bouncing around in there. And every now and then, it goes down and hits that button. And here comes your grief. And you're 15 years away from some heartbreaking event, can't figure out why every year around this time you start to get grumpy. This time doesn't heal it. It may not get hit as often, but it's still there. And if you think about it, you can still weep. Who's going to restore your soul? Who's going to fix your broken heart? You're not. Social media is not. The news isn't. You know who will? My shepherd. My shepherd restores my soul. He does this through his word, which we hear through his people, our flock, through prayer in which he hears us. He restores our soul. And then finally, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And this is not the same as the still waters that he leads us beside. This is different. Paths of righteousness for his name's sake. The Lord is my shepherd. He's mine. I shall not want, which means he's not going to withhold. So I won't ever be empty. The Lord's my shepherd. I'm never going to run out. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. From the chaos of this life 
and he restores my soul. And then he takes me along paths of righteousness, which means when I am restored, when I have the grace that I need abundantly supplied to put away my sin and seek to walk with him in obedience, he leads me along paths which train me in righteousness. He swears he's going to do it. There's nothing I can do to stop it because he's sovereign. And guess why he does it? Not because we're terrific. Not because he really needs us on his team. He does it for his own glory. He leads me on paths of righteousness. What does it say? For his name's sake. Come on. If Jesus' name is at stake, is he going to make you righteous or not? He attaches his own glorification to our salvation. And he says, if I'm going to be glorified, you're going to be saved. Nothing's going to change that. He leads me on paths of righteousness for the glory of his own name. Now, this year, I don't know what you resolved to do. I don't know what you're hoping will happen. But I know this. You will get a whole lot farther if you're on paths of righteousness being led by your shepherd who supplies abundant grace and mercy for all your needs than you ever will doing things your own way for your own reason with your own hopes and dreams at stake. The glory of God is at stake in your salvation. Follow him in paths of righteousness. And your year, when it comes to a close at the end of next year, doesn't matter what happened, it will have been a good year because you will be closer to the cross of Jesus Christ then than you are today. And that is worth being committed to. Amen? Let's pray.